Hi, my name is Tracy Carpenter and I'm a member with Restored Church. If you're new, welcome. We are glad that you tuned in. We believe that the church is a family and not just an event, and so we would love to connect with you. Uh, there are a few ways that you can do that. The first being um, through our website, which is www.restoredtemecula.church, um, and then click on contact. We also have a mobile app that you can get in the Apple or the Android app stores, and through that app you can see past um, messages, upcoming events, and other ways for us to connect. Um, so with all that said, we hope you enjoy the message. Like I mentioned earlier, I'm so thrilled to be here. Uh, I was out last Sunday with COVID and had to preach to the camera again, which was just the worst. But so glad to be here. If we haven't met yet, my name's Tom. I have the privilege of providing leadership to the church as the lead pastor on eldership with my wife, Ebony, and Herrick and Heather Berga. I would love to meet you if we haven't met yet. But man, COVID is making its way through our community. It's, it's hilarious. The, the running joke is like, okay, how many people are actually going to be there on Sunday? And so to be honest with you, I just feel like this season is really cultivating gratitude in my heart for every moment that we get to be together, every moment that we get to like genuinely open the scriptures to encounter God together. Man, let me just be mushy for a second. I'm so, I'm so thankful to be part of this church, guys. I'm so thankful to be in relationship with you. Um, that's more than just like, oh, cool, we do the same thing on a Sunday morning together, but like a, a, actually like a, a deeper relationship thing. Um, we talk about it all the time. The church is not an event. It's not something you can go to. It really is a, an eternal spiritual family. And Jesus says that that eternal spiritual family is deeper and more transcendent and more profound than even biology. As wonderful as biological family is and can be, that there's something even greater that we were made for, to relate to God in the deepest, most profound way as Father, and to relate to each other as brothers and sisters. And so <clears throat> that's not just lip service. Like, I feel it in my heart for each and every one of you, and I just, I'm so thankful to be here. Okay. Maybe it's the sentimentality of not being here last Sunday, but I'm just so, so thankful. Now, uh, one of the things that we talk about a lot um, in this church is the, the concept of identity. And maybe this is something that you think about often, or maybe it's something that you don't think about often, but this question of, of who you are, okay? So hear me. If you were to answer that question in a really honest, quick answer, like in your heart, who are you? What would you, what would you say? Now, <clears throat> I would argue that the answer to that question of like, who am I? Who are you? I didn't, the answer to that question, it might just be the most important question that a person can answer. I think people far too often just kind of cruise through life and they fly through life without as much intentionality. And I think if you don't live life with intentionality, you miss out on so much of the depth, so much of the beauty, so much of the joy, so much of the purpose of life. One of the most important questions you can answer is who am I? And here's the thing. You can tell a lot about a person, and specifically you can tell a lot about a person's identity by one simple indicator. And that is this. Who and what that person identifies with. 
Now, what does it mean to identify? It means to closely associate with, okay? Track with me. People identify with a lot of different things, okay? People identify with their hobbies. What's your hobby? Like, everybody in the room probably has a hobby, okay? People identify, like, frankly, I think two of the, of the hobbies in my life that, I don't know, occupy most of my thought, I, I love music, I really enjoy music. I enjoy making music. I enjoy listening to music. I enjoy appreciating music. I think that there's, man, there's a a lot of amazing uh, forms of art in the world, but I feel like music is just the best, man. It taps into a deeper, I don't know, a deeper thing. And my family's shaking their head, yes, I mean, they agree. What is it for you? My, I, I enjoy golf. I feel like there's very few things. I'm terrible at golf, by the way, but I enjoy it. There's very few things that actually get my mind to stop cranking and thinking and moving. Golf, I literally am just like, it's beautiful outside. I'm going to hit this ball. Like, it's a wonderful thing for my mind. Hobbies, what is it for you? Maybe, uh, maybe you enjoy a certain activity, like a, a, a certain kind of uh, workout thing. Maybe you belong to a specific gym. Uh, shout out to Fit Functional Motherhood. Come on. I know, well, you're associated with her, bro. Come on. It'd be really weird if, if Fit Functional Motherhood was you. Like, that'd be... <laughs> shit your wife. No, but like, maybe there's like a reality to like, you're, you, you, you kind of associate with a specific approach to fitness or whatever, and those CrossFitters in the room, those kinds of things. Maybe uh, a hobby for you is like you really enjoy to read, you enjoy, like you enjoy reading. You enjoy uh, like taking in information and processing it and learning about things. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe you, <laughs> I was thinking about this this morning, maybe you're into LARPing, okay? If you've ever seen LARPing, it's the most, some of you have no idea what it, do you guys know what LARPing is? Okay, here's your assignment. Ask your parents permission, and when you get home today after gathering, ask if you can Google LARPing. Parents, it's safe. Well, I think. I think. I'm getting the thumbs up from a couple of you. LARPing, maybe it's reading, maybe whatever it is. People are like closely associated with, they identify with hobbies. What else do people identify with? People identify with like sports teams. Uh, let me hear some sports teams. I know Herrick's a big Angels fan. Braves, Angels. Who else? Seahawks. Bears. Okay, so you see, very. it didn't take much time at all for people to start shouting out the sports teams that they identify with, okay? Political ideologies, this is a big one. Uh, maybe not so much. People don't always have the courage to speak up in public. When they do, it tends to create arguments. But if you look on their social media feed... Dude, political ideologies they associate with, they identify with all over the place. Maybe it's your career. Uh, You're in the industry that you're in. People identify with, they're closely associated with all sorts of things. Now, I want to play a game this morning before we jump into the scriptures. Just to kind of get this point in front of you, okay? I want to say a name, and then I want you to say what or who that person identifies with, what they're closely associated with. All right, you guys ready for this? Mark is ready and nobody else. Okay, Mark, we're going to play a game. Okay. <clears throat> All right, George Washington. I'm hearing America. President, I'm hearing America. Yeah, okay, first president of the United States of America, closely associated with, identifies with the founding of America, right? Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Civil rights, okay. 
Yeah, pastor. Okay, so pastor closely associated with, identifies with the civil rights movement in the 60s. Mickey Mouse. Disneyland. Disney children cartoon, right? Yeah, he's like the, the OG cartoon that you could also ultimately, you could argue he's a cult leader. Uh, Mickey Mouse, like leading the way with Disney, right? Associated with, identifies with D- Disney. Uh, Taylor Swift. That's fair, dude. That is very fair. Very, very fair. I respect that. No one's saying anything. Taylor Swift. Music. Scandal. So yeah, she's a musician. She's a songwriter, okay? She's closely associated with country music, pop music. She's a superstar, right? Pablo Picasso. Art. Yeah, painter, sculptor, all-around master associated with art, identifying with art. Oprah. Did you say singer? (laughs) Good try, good try. Oprah. Talk show from like the 80s and 90s. Wealth, yep. She is a... She is a media mogul. You'd be shocked at finding out how much she oversees when it comes to media. Okay? Very successful woman. Paul McCartney. Genius. Yeah. One of the greatest songwriters in the history of the world associated with, identifies with the Beatles. One more. O.J. Simpson. Depending on who you talk to, one of the greatest football players ever, and also scandalously associated with, identifies with, uh, allegedly doing some pretty nefarious stuff in his life. What if, right now I said your name out loud? What if I said your name right now? What would the rest of the room say? Would there be giggles? Yeah. Would there be giggles like this? Or would there be like a hush that goes over the room because everyone feels awkward? What would you say about you? What do you identify with? What are you closely associated with? Because friends, what a person identifies with, man, you can tell so much about their identity by what they identify with. Today's passage, it tells us in a really, really powerful way what and who Jesus identifies with. So go ahead and grab your Bibles. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 3. While you're turning there, I'm going to go ahead and pray. Words will be on the screen in just a moment, too, if you don't have your physical Bible with you. If you do have your physical Bible with you, well done. Let me pray for us. Uh, Holy Spirit, we ask you to teach us this morning. 
We ask you to help us clearly see and experience you. Show us Jesus. Show us some more depth of how wonderful he is and how glorious he is, how powerful he is. Father, would you parent us this morning? Grow us, shape us. Help me, I'm so glad to be here. I really wanna honor and bless every, every soul in the room. I don't wanna do anything that gets in the way of what you're doing in each of our lives and in us as a community. So help me serve in all humility. And Jesus, we, we wanna see you clearly. So help us, Lord, teach us. We look to you now. And all God's people said, amen. Okay, so we're going to start actually in verse 11. We covered a little bit of this last week, but it's going to kind of springboard us into the the core chunk of this passage that I want to focus in on this morning. Now, one of the things that you need to know, this is within Matthew's gospel. We're going through this series, right? The king and his kingdom. We're learning as much as we can about what God's kingdom is like. It's not just like a, a realm. It's, it's, it's much more of a reality. It's like a, it's a present power in our lives. It's not just a place, okay? Yes, we're gonna, we're gonna experience the fullness of the kingdom of God when Jesus makes all things new and sets all things right and redeems all things at his second coming. But that doesn't mean that we miss out on elements of God's kingdom, his rule and his reign here and now. It's a both. It's an already and a not yet, okay? We're discussing this, going through Matthew's gospel, his eyewitness account of the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, so we can learn as much as we can about the king and about what his kingdom is like and how we can live in his kingdom even here and now, okay? So keep something in mind. This is the very first time, what we're about to read, this is the very first time that we encounter Jesus as an adult, all right? Prior to this, Jesus was he's a child, he's a baby, this is the first time we see Jesus come on the scene as an adult, okay? Uh, Matthew chapter three, starting here in verse 11, all right? This is the words of John the Baptist. Remember, we're coming out of last week. John the Baptist is in the wilderness and he's preaching a message. Do you remember what the message was? Repent because the kingdom of heaven is near. His whole message was repentance. Turn away from sin, right? It's, it's I'm sorry and I'm stopping. I don't wanna spend too much time on this. We covered this last week. Uh, my silly drawing, you can look at that later. We'll reference that a little bit. But John the Baptist preaching this message. He's baptizing people for the repentance of their sins, turning away from their sins, embracing God's forgiveness, his grace, his mercy, turning around the U-turn, right? Okay, this is John the Baptist speaking in verse 11. He's out in the wilderness. I baptize you to the people, the Jews that are there. I baptize you with water for repentance, But the one who is coming after me is more powerful than I. He's talking about the Messiah, the Christ, the promised Savior. I'm not worthy to remove his sandals. He himself will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing shovel is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with fire that never goes out. Verse 13, now we're in the bulk of what I want to cover today. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan. Okay, so think cinematically like a movie in your mind for a second. Boom, it's like Jesus comes on the screen as an adult for the first time. All right, if you're in the movie theater and you love Jesus, everyone's cheering. It's like, yes, there he is. It's like if you watch The Chosen, the first time you see Jesus, you're like, oh, that's him. Cool, he's there. That's boom, Jesus is on the scene. Okay, came from Galilee to John the Baptist at the Jordan River to be baptized by John. Verse 14, but John tried to stop him saying, 
I need to be baptized by you, and yet you come to me? Listen to this in verse 15. Jesus answered him, allow it for now, because this is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness. Underline that in your Bible. This is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John allowed him to be baptized. Verse 16, when Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. The heavens suddenly opened for him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. That's our passage. There's ten sermons in this passage. I'm only going to point out a handful of things that I think are pertinent to us in our community, specifically in this season. But I want you to think of this like a movie. It's a scene we just encountered, okay? This incredible scene where you have Jesus, right? God in the flesh. And he's baptized. Like, what's going on here? Let's talk about it for just a moment, okay? Baptism. What does baptism mean? Like, what? I think we all know what it is. You know, the dunking into the water, and right? What does baptism mean? Hear me. At the heart of what it means to be baptized is the idea of identifying. Like we played the game, right? With George Washington and Oprah and OJ. Like it's identifying. That's the, the, the heart of what it means to be baptized is the idea of identifying, right? Baptism is to publicly, not privately, it's to publicly identify with who? With God. Absolutely, okay? So when a person is baptized, they're identifying as something new, right? Something utterly different than what was. Remember, John the Baptist, his message, repent because the kingdom of heaven is near, and he's doing, it's being demonstrated. People that are actually saying, yes, they're demonstrating that by being baptism. It was a baptism of repentance. If you remember last week, we did that silly little, that little diagram, but it's like this idea that like, the trials of life happen to us. Pain, suffering, discomfort, things that the, the people mistreat us, all the different things. The trials of life come at us, and then we respond to those trials with thoughts and actions that literally reveal the fruit in our lives, like a tree reveals fruit. It reveals various amounts of impurity and sin within us. And then it's in that moment that we have a choice. When we become aware of it, we have a choice of what we're going to do. Repent, which is to turn from it. It's I'm sorry and I'm stopping. It's not just remorse. It's behavioral. It's internal and external. We either choose to then repent. Remember, God's kingdom, his rule, his reign, his ways. Repent, turn around. You turn back to God and his ways. And he's gracious to offer us forgiveness and grace to do that and mercy. Or resistance, not repentance. One results in more of God's kingdom, one results in less of God's kingdom. I want you guys to get this, okay? Remember, John the Baptist's message, his baptism was a baptism of repentance. So repentance, it results in a new way of living, not the old way, a new way. Each time, okay? It's an act of identifying with the kingdom that John the Baptist was preaching about. The kingdom where God is king instead of me being king. So something new takes place there, okay? I want you to see this baptism is publicly identifying with God 
as a repentant sinner, right? As someone who's, who's living for his kingdom instead of mine. I want you guys to get this, okay? Identifying as a repentant sinner means that a person relies on God to cleanse them through forgiveness and grace. So, baptism, it symbolizes that a person identifies with this biblical reality instead of not identifying with it. I'm closely associated to needing God's grace and wanting to turn away from my sin. You guys getting this? Identifying with, closely associated with, I'm a repentant sinner in need of God's mercy. Now, last Easter in 2021, dude, me and Ebony had the incredible privilege of baptizing our daughter, our eldest daughter, Amelia. It was like a highlight of my life, man. I've been praying for her. I've been praying for her to like actually publicly identify with God and his kingdom since she, since she was conceived. And we would talk, we talked about baptism and, and what it meant for years leading up to her actually doing it. And it was this like, it was so special, guys. We had this wonderful picture, like right when we baptized her, uh, Kate Hill actually took it, uh, I think on my phone. And it's just this like really special, beautiful photo that I, it's one of those photos that like if your house is burning, you grab that one kind of thing. It's so special and so wonderful. It was just, it was a really amazing moment for me as a dad. She was, my daughter, she's, she's publicly declaring her intent to identify with God's kingdom in her life, his rule, his reign. So she's identifying with something as something, identifying with God's kingdom as a repentant sinner, someone who wants to practice this thing of repentance, of turning from sin and enjoying his rule and reign in their life. A lifestyle of repentance instead of a lifestyle of resistance. So it, why then is Jesus being baptized? You ever think about this? Like, Jesus was sinless. Is he identifying as a repentant sinner? What's going on here? Now, remember, baptism, it's related to something. What's it related to? It's related to a person's identity, right? What we associate with, what we identify with reveals a lot about someone's identity. And listen, just like the rest of anybody, especially the people here in this context, in this passage, all those Jews that are coming out to John the Baptist in the wilderness to be baptized, just like the rest of those people being baptized in the Jordan River, Jesus is identifying with something. He's identifying with the kingdom that John the Baptist is announcing, right? The kingdom of heaven. He's identifying with John the Baptist's message about repentance. Yet, unlike every single other person, Jesus is identifying with the kingdom as something different. He's identifying with the kingdom as the one who will, as he says, fulfill all righteousness. Um, we talked about sports teams, okay? Um, me and my buddy Dorian, we uh, share something in common. We are, he probably more than me, but we are fans of the Los Angeles Lakers, okay? The greatest basketball team in all of the land. If you want to argue with me about it, you can. We can debate it. But the Lakers are the best team, 
okay? <clears throat> and we live in Southern California, and it's no surprise to see people walking around town with different Lakers jerseys on, you know, of their favorite player or whatever. But listen, <clears throat> when Dorian or anybody else, when a person puts on a Lakers jersey, what are they doing? They're identifying with that team. There's, I'm closely associated with this team as what? As a fan, as a supporter. Like, I'm identifying with the Lakers when I put the jersey on. As a fan. When LeBron puts the jersey on, it's different. If you don't know, LeBron James is on the Lakers. Okay? When he puts the jersey on, it's different. When LeBron puts on the same jersey, he's not putting it on as a fan. He's putting it on as LeBron James, right? As the one who actually fulfills the role of starting forward for the Lakers. Friends, when Jesus is baptized, he's identifying with the kingdom of God, but not as a repentant sinner, but as the Messiah as the one who will actually fulfill all righteousness, the one who will provide that perfect righteousness that each of us needs in order to participate in God's kingdom. For God and sinners to actually be kind of connected and united and reconciled and together, there's got to be perfect righteousness. He says, be holy as I am, as, as I am holy. Anybody in the room, anybody in the room totally perfectly righteous? If you are, raise your hand. I'm not, I'm just getting you. None of us. So therefore, for us to be reconciled to God, we need a perfect righteousness. And Jesus, the perfect one, God in our place, not only did he live it, but he offers it, offers to credit it to us. So hear me, I just want to mention this for a second. Baptism isn't like a salvific act. And what I mean by that is it doesn't save you. God in your place Saves you. Baptism, baptism identifies you with God and his kingdom. Sort of like wearing a Lakers jersey identifies you with the Lakers. But it does not make you LeBron James. You guys getting this? Great. So, in Jesus' case, it was a complete and full identification with the kingdom that John the Baptist was announcing. Okay? There's so much beauty in this passage. I, I just want to flesh this out a little bit more, okay? So I want you to see this picture in Jesus coming to be baptized. He's identifying with, he's closely associating with four things in the passage, okay? We already talked about, he's, he's identifying with the kingdom of heaven, right? As the savior king, as the Messiah, not as a repentant sinner. But man, oh man, he's also identifying with sinners, not as a sinner, but with sinners, with people who need that perfect righteousness, but cannot, cannot conjure it up themselves, cannot produce it themselves. He's identifying with sinners as the Messiah sent to provide perfect righteousness for sinners. But there's two more things that Jesus identifies with in this passage. Did you catch what they were? Look back at verse 16. When Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. The heavens suddenly opened for him, and he saw what? Spirit of God, yes, descending like a dove coming down on who? On him. Verse 17, and a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. 
Okay, here's a couple different sermons we could preach right now. You see, you see all three persons of the Trinity here. There's that piece. But what I want to focus in on here is that we see that Jesus identifies with the Spirit of God and with God the Father. Closely associates with, identifies with the Spirit of God and God the Father. Okay, the Spirit of God. It says the dove, right? The Spirit of God is responsible for the felt presence of God to, to the person, to, to, to a human being, okay? So think like this. How many of you know the gospel? Raise your hand if you know the gospel, right? God saves sinners, all the things. How many of you feel it? You feel it? Beautiful. I don't know if you're anything like me, the rest of you. I can, bel- I can have information all day long. God loves me. But you know how often I don't feel it in my heart? Like I don't like actually physically feel it. You want to know how I know I don't feel it? Because I sin. <laughs> Are you getting this? There's a difference between having information in your head and acknowledging that an information is true and actually feeling it and experiencing it and having it change my behavior. It's the whole essence of repentance. You know, I don't know what's different between you and I and like the demons. Because the scriptures say that the demons believe. They acknowledge the truth about God. You want to know what the difference is? The Christian repents. The Christian takes that that glorious news that God loves me, forgives me, offers grace and mercy to me, will never leave me, forsake me. And, And the spirit of God is responsible for helping that information migrate from my brain to my heart. When it migrates from my brain to my heart, it makes its way out onto my branches through my behavior. My behavior doesn't save me. Jesus' behavior saves me. My behavior doesn't save me. It reveals what's going on in here. It reveals where my trust is, where my faith is, what the object of my faith is. It's the Spirit of God that helps a person, enables a person, I should say, have that information migrate from the head to the heart, from the heart to the branches, that is your behavior. You guys seeing this? That's what makes a Christian, that's what makes a person different than the demons, because they believe. Yeah, they know Jesus is the Messiah. They know he's God the Son. The Spirit of God. I want you to see, there's another description of what happens here. Jesus identifying with God's Spirit, identifying with God the Father. In John's Gospel, we went through this like, for like two and a half, three years. Not John the Baptist, but the Apostle John. He gives an account of this exact same scene, you know, the baptism of Jesus, in the first chapter of of John's gospel. Throw that up there for me, Sam. Uh, I want you to read this. It'll sound really familiar, but check this out. In chapter one of John, starting in verse 29. The next day, John, that's John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, he's out, again, he's out in the wilderness. He's at the Jordan River. He's baptizing people. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I told you about. After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. Verse 31, I didn't know him, but I came baptizing with water 
What does it say? So that he might be revealed to Israel. Remember, John the Baptist is the forerunner of the Messiah. He's the the prophetic guy that God called to go, hey, Messiah's coming. He's coming. He's coming. He's really close. He's near. That's John's purpose, right? Verse 32, and John testified, I saw. Underline, I saw. I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and he rested on him, him being Jesus. I didn't know him, but he who sent me, God, to baptize with water told me the one that you see the spirit descending and resting on, he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testified that this is the son of God. John the Baptist saw it. He saw the Spirit of God descending on Jesus like a dove, resting on him. And it confirmed something. It was confirmation that Jesus was the one. Jesus was the Messiah. Like he he wasn't just someone wearing a jersey. He was actually the one who would fulfill all righteousness. Jesus identifies with the Spirit of God. And this other thing, man, Jesus identifies with God the Father. He's closely associated with, identifies with God the Father. It's this idea of sonship. And I don't think we fully get it in our Western culture. Primarily, I think because none of us dads are great dads. But there's, there's so much damage and brokenness that's caused People have father wounds that are very, very real. And I think because of that, it causes, it it can cause people to, to react, understandably, but to react in very negative ways to this idea of God being our father. Because for some of you, not for all of you, but for some of you, relationship with Pop was not great. So if God is like that, I have a whole mess of stuff I need to untangle and work out and all the things. There's no perfect earthly fathers. There's none. I personally, I'm blessed. I have an incredible dad. You guys, most of you know him. He's such a gift. Not perfect, but man, healthy and wonderful to me. But I know many of us a source of pain. So if God's like that, ah, this is really hard for me to to come to grips with. But the idea is this. The idea of, of a biblical father is an authority with love. An authority that exists for your benefit. Not to control you, not to condemn you, not to use you, but actually like thinking through, I exist for you. Like it's just, I exist for your benefit. It's authority with love. God is the father who never uses his authority apart from love, ever. So hear me. It's this moment, this scene that we're unpacking right now, Jesus' baptism, that for the very first time, he publicly identifies with the kingdom of God 
with sinners, with the Spirit of God, and with God the Father. He identifies with those four things as the promised Messiah, as the Savior King, as God the Son. Hear me. What a person identifies with can tell you a lot about their identity, like we talked about in the introduction. Anybody know how old Jesus is here? He's 30 years old. Think about that for a second. He's 30. The first time we see him as an adult, as as not a baby in Matthew's gospel, he's 30. I don't know about you, I lived a lot of life prior to 30. The first time we see Jesus as an adult, the first time we hear from him, He's 30 years old. That means it took 30 years for Jesus' identity to be revealed. It was revealed by him showing and demonstrating who and what he identified with, but it took 30 years for his identity to be revealed. Now, um, how many of you in the room enjoy like going for a drive? Anybody? I found myself late. Like I really enjoy, if it's like a peaceful drive, I actually really love it. My mind can process things, especially if there's any like geographical beauty around me. I, I actually really enjoy, it means I'm getting old. I mean, like I really enjoy going for like a, a drive or a walk, right? But, but hear me, I really enjoy, enjoy driving unless there's traffic. In which case, I absolutely loathe driving, okay? Now, you... One of the things that drives me crazy is if you travel, if you've been outside of America, one of the things that I think a lot of countries get right that we get severely wrong is that other countries don't use stoplights. They use those roundabouts. And they might look intimidating, but they're fantastic, okay? They're much more efficient to handle traffic. For whatever reason, we've decided to fill all of our streets in America with stoplights. So you drive and you stop. And you spend more time not moving then you spend moving, which I don't know about you, it does something to your psyche that just messes you up, okay? I enjoy going on drives unless it's traffic, unless I'm stuck at a red light. I have a confession to make to you this morning. I've run some red lights in my time. But there's a reason why I've run the red lights. The reason I've run the red lights is because sometimes you get stuck at the red light. Here's what I mean by that. Have you ever, have you ever spent time at a red light and it skips you? Is there anything more infuriating than that? It skips you. Have you ever been stuck at a red light when no one is around? Where there's like a car hasn't gone through the intersection in like three to five minutes. That might not sound like a long time, but when you're waiting at a red light, it's an eternity. No one's coming by. And you literally watch the other lights change and you're like, that's it, I'm out. And you run the red light. I'm not saying you should. I'm confessing to you that I have. Maybe one time in my life. Jesus never ran the red light. He waited 30 years for the light to turn green. 
30 years. And then finally, John the Baptist shows up preaching in the wilderness, right? The prophetic forerunner of the Messiah, right? The one that would, that would prepare the people for the Messiah's arrival. When John the Baptist began preaching in the wilderness, that was Jesus's green light moment. It was finally time to begin his public ministry. It was finally time to like step into the fullness of the calling. It was finally time to publicly reveal his identity. 30 years. Consider something with me for just a second. Consider with me the process that Jesus went through. He's God in the flesh. So he's sinless. I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to introduce doubt of whether or not he was sinless. He was absolutely sinless according to the Bible. Without sin, absolutely. But he had to be developed to carry out his mission. The scripture says that God became flesh and he took on human limitations. Like the scriptures say he emptied himself. Fully God, yet fully man. That means he had human limitations. We talk about this fairly often. That means... He, God's omnipresent means he's present everywhere. Jesus wasn't present everywhere. He took on human flesh. That means he's present in the wilderness in Judea or in Jerusalem. So he took on these human limitations, right? Get this. God made the whole cosmos, the universe. He spoke the universe into existence. God had to learn to walk. He had to learn to talk. Think about the humility there. He's the creator. He developed walking. <laughs> like, think about the patience. He wasn't just like, I'm here. All right. I know how to walk, I know how to talk, let's get the job done. Pay, pay the debt for all the sinners, let's do this. Come on, you guys are missing out. You're destroying, you're destroying your lives, you're destroying the lives of the other people around you. Receive my forgiveness, let's roll. The humility of Almighty God, the patience, not just patient with us, patient for us. Like he had to learn, he had to be developed, he had to learn how to fill his human heart and his human mind with the scriptures. Hear this, they were God's word. The scriptures are God's word. So God had to humble himself as a human to then have fill his heart and his mind and learn his own words. Like there's so much depth here, guys. He had to learn how to fill his heart and his mind with the scriptures. He had to learn how to cultivate the wisdoms and the skills to teach. He's a rabbi the greatest teacher of all time. Pre-COVID, I, f I, I flew fairly regularly. So probably like twice a quarter, I'd get on an airplane. For some of you, you fly way more than that. But for me, that's, that's a lot. And so I've been on dozens and dozens and dozens of flights. And some flights are great. Some flights go off without a hitch. Some flights are just really smooth really wonderful. You can actually get work done on them. They're great. I've also been on enough flights to know like there's been flights that have been scary. Like I've experienced some turbulence where you're like, your stomach goes, and you're like, 
If any of you have ever flown with me, uh, you might have noticed me doing something. I, I read somewhere that some astronomical statistic of like, Herrick might know this, he's really into aviation. There's, there's like a, a very high percentage of, of flights that go down. So flights that crash, however many percentage, it either happens on takeoff or landing. It's like the vast majority. So every takeoff and every landing, close my laptop, close my book, close, turn, and I just pray. Jesus, I'm so thankful for the life that you've given me. So thankful that you've offered me forgiveness and grace and mercy. I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for every moment with them I've had. I love you. I entrust my spirit to you. Every, every takeoff, every landing, and so far I'm batting a thousand, which is great. I haven't gone, no, no flights have gone down. And I'm not like afraid to fly. I'm not. But there's been some flights, guys, where, dude, I've been on flights where it, when you land, it literally feels like the plane bounces off the ground. And you, it like jerks your neck. It's like, a, it's like how do those tires and the, and the landing gear, how do, they, how do they survive that? I've been on some, some rough flights. Now, pilots go through a lot of training, right? Rightfully so. If, if, if I told you that you were going to get on a flight with me and the pilot wasn't fully developed, would you want to let him fly? If he was one of those guys that's like, dude, I've got, you know, I've got 500 hours, but I've never landed before. You want to fly with me? You want to get on? I don't. I don't want to get in a plane with that man or woman who's not developed as a pilot, who's not fully trained as a pilot. That can have some really, really awful outcomes, okay? A pilot needs to be developed before they're deployed. Hear me, friend. Please don't discount God's timing in your life. Please don't discount God's timing in your life. You must be developed before you're deployed. God was. Without the development, without your development, your impact will at best be limited, at worst, damaging. But listen, do you see how wonderful God is in all of this? He's so patient. He's so patient. He's patient with our development because timing's really important. You don't put a pilot in the cockpit before they know how to land. Timing is everything. It's the difference between a plane landing safely or not. (laughs) So I want you to see something, guys. I want you to see God's mission his mission, since, since sin entered the equation, his mission is to rescue his chosen people throughout every generation. How? By fulfilling all righteousness in their place. To live the life, the perfect life that you and I never could. And to die the death that you and I deserve for us resisting him, rejecting him in his ways, his kingdom. He's the king, right? Right? 
He lived the life that we never could and died the death that we deserve in our place to fulfill all righteousness. He did that for his chosen, loved people. To transport them from one place to another, sort of like a pilot does with an airplane, right? From death to life. From the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the rule and the reign of God. Timing is everything. Jesus didn't run the red light because God in his humility and God in his patience submitted himself to human limitations and that meant he needed to be developed before he was deployed. The same is true for me and the same is true for you. So, what does God's timing look like for you in this season? In your relationships, in your marriage, in your parenting, at your job, with your friendships, with your family, with your friends. What does God's timing look like for you? Where is he developing you? Maybe for some of you, it's he's developing you in a specific area, like putting, putting a specific sin, just putting it away for good. Put it to death. You're impatient with the people, clo- your impatience with the people close to you. He's like, get it out of your life. He's developing you. And he's giving you plenty of opportunities to show whether or not you want to hold on to it or whether or not you want, you want to hold on to it and be impatient with the people around you. Or do you want to go, I'm going to let that go. God's so patient with me. That'll empower me to be patient with the people around me. I don't need to control them. What is it for you? Maybe you're like me. I shared this at the Family of Churches retreat last year. I feel like one of the big words for me for the last year, and it's like a thing that God's still doing in my life. I feel like he told me, I want to untangle the knot in your heart, Tom. I want to untangle the knot of your self-reliance. I think like, no, like I'm a, I'm a, I'm a pastor, Lord. Like I, I depend on you and your spirit. Like, and he's like, yeah. It's like I've done a lot of work in you. It's been great. But there's this nasty knot of you relying on yourself way too often. And there's things that I created you for to deploy you into that unless that gets developed, you're going to crash the plane. You're going to hurt yourself and you're going to hurt the people around you. What is it for you? Maybe, maybe God's not the Lord of certain areas in your life. Maybe God's not the Lord of like your body. Maybe there's things that you're doing with your body. Jesus is not the Lord over that. It could be really unhealthy things, scandalous things even. It could also be things that look really, really healthy to the world, but are ultimately rooted in like vanity. Maybe, maybe he's not the Lord of your money. Maybe, maybe you're operating not as a steward who's managing your father's resources for his kingdom, for your good, for you to enjoy, for you to take care of, and for you to share. Maybe you believe in the lie that it belongs to you. 
You're subjecting yourself ultimately to the rule and the bondage that money can have over our heart. Maybe, maybe he's not the Lord over what you watch, like the media you consume. I was talking with a couple people this week about this idea of how Jesus talked about how the eye is the lamp of the body. What you take in will influence you so much. Maybe, maybe it's your time to be baptized. Jesus waited 30 years. Although he didn't baptize, he didn't get baptized as a repentant sinner. He got baptized as the one who would fulfill all righteousness. Maybe it's time for you to publicly identify with God and his kingdom as a person who's committed to living a lifestyle of repentance instead of a lifestyle of resistance. Friend, hear me. God's desire for you. Do you realize he's like, he has emotions. He has intense desires for the people he loves. Newsflash, he loves you. He has desires for you and his desires are to develop you. He created you to be deployed, to live out your purpose. That's probably better than you could even think or imagine. It's probably more important than you think it is. It's probably grander than your dreams can even fathom because we think too small. We, th- we live in Temecula. It's really comfortable here. I just want to have my comfortable little life. I want to work my like healthy job or I make enough money to like live this cool kind of like we can get by and we're comfortable, we can go on vacations and we can do these things. What if God has way more for you than that? He created you to be deployed, to live out your purpose, but you must be developed before you're deployed. What's he doing in your heart? All right, I'll call the band up. I'll close with this. Here's what I want to do. I want to review what we've talked about, and then I want, to, I want to create some space for us to reflect a little bit and let God speak to us. <clears throat> okay? The baptism of Jesus means God identified with. Jesus identified with four things, and what you identify with reveals a lot about your identity. He identified with the kingdom of God, right, as the king. He identified with the spirit of God, right? That's God's felt presence, head to heart. He identified with God the father, right? He's he's the son of God. He has this incredible, he relates to God as father. That means that, that, that authority with love. And the most spectacular thing in this passage, we already talked about it, he relates, he identifies with, he's closely associated with, Sinners, people who screw things up like me. He identifies with sinners as the Messiah sent to save them and rescue them. So can we just reflect on some of the beautiful news? Can we just reflect on the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ for just a minute? I'm going to say something and you, you, you got to not let your mind drift right now. God identifies with you. He identifies with you in everything that you're facing. The good, the bad, and the ugly. He identifies with you. Not as a fellow sinner, but as God himself who offers himself to save you. But he also knows. He's... 
he, he knows what it feels like to be betrayed. He knows what it feels like to suffer. He knows what it feels like to be rejected. He knows what it feels like to experience pain of every kind. He knows what it's like to, to, to watch people around him that, that, that he loves dearly struggle in the very same ways. He identifies with you. He doesn't reject you. He identifies with you. The scriptures say he's the friend of sinners. That, how amazing is that? We are people who like, oh, I don't want to be associated with those people that are really messed up. They're like kind of a mess. And yeah, I'm more cool, but like, you're not going to like come over and sit at my table for dinner. Like, and Jesus is like, no, no, that messed up one. Like, yeah, they're sitting at my table. There's a spot. He identifies with us. It's incredible. Do you realize that it's in your worst, like in your most sinful state, that God's heart desires you? The scriptures over and over again, God saw them with compassion in his heart. He saw them with compassion in his heart. He saw them with compassion in his heart. You at your worst. He's not like, again. He's like, his heart is overflowing with compassion for you and love for you and mercy for you. Like a heavenly father looks at a wayward child, arms wide open. Turn around. Come, come be with me. Come back to me. Turn around. You turn. Repent. Come here. He doesn't look with you with contempt, but with compassion. He identifies with repentant sinners like me. Guys, I love him so much for that. So I want to end where I started. Who and what do you identify with? Who and what do you identify with? Who and what do you closely associate with? Because to be a Christian is to associate, to identify yourself with the very same things that Jesus did. God's kingdom, God's spirit, God the Father, God's people. And as you do, you'll associate yourself with him. So if you're in a season where like God feels distant, he feels kind of like absent maybe, or, or just not that impressive. There's other things that you'd rather do. There's other things you'd rather give your time to, your energy to, your attention to. If he seems like anything other than profoundly beautiful and glorious, I invite you to try something. I invite you to try associating yourself with his kingdom. That means obeying him. I invite you to try associating yourself with his spirit with him as father and with his people. Other repentant sinners saved by grace and see what happens. That's what we're gonna do right now. So what I wanna do is I wanna invite you to just wherever you are, I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes. Not to be overly spiritual or religious, but literally just to help your mind not be distracted.
And I want to invite the Father to do some parenting in our hearts this morning. God, we want to identify with your kingdom, your rule, your reign. Would you highlight where we're resisting your rule and reign in our life? Show us. I love that you don't show us to condemn us. You show us to free us. Holy Spirit, we want to identify with you. We want to closely be associated with you. And God, your word says that if we ask for your spirit, you'll give your spirit to those who ask. God in your own way, friend. For all those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when He adopted you as His own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. Father, we want to identify with you as our truest father. The highest authority who never uses that authority apart from the love. God, our prayer is that we would be people who closely associate with, who identify with you because you identify with us through Jesus. Have your way in our lives. Free us. Minister to us now, Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. I'm gonna ask you to stand if you're able. We've got about 10, 15 minutes or so. Um, if you're on the prayer team this morning, would you kind of make your way to the back of the room? Friends, there's going to be prayer available, men and women who are trusted that would love to pray with you in these specific areas. If God's highlighting something in your heart, again, respond by trusting him in faith, by going and actually engaging with him. Maybe, just maybe, he wants to father you into something this morning or father you out of something this morning. Receive prayer. The band's going to minister to us. It's an opportunity for us to respond, to continue to reflect to receive God's goodness, his grace, enjoying his presence, his provision, and the radical wild fact that he identifies with us. I love you guys very much. Enjoy him for a bit, and then Herrick will be up in just a moment to close us, okay? I love you guys very much. God, thank you that you are with us. Thank you that you are for us. Thank you that in light of Jesus, there really is nothing that can come between us. Your love, your care, your commitment to us, it's, it's, all, it's all been secured on the cross. And I pray that you would help us this week to really begin to experience that in our day-to-day life, what it looks like to follow you, walk with you, enjoy you, and obey you, and be your partners in this world to see your kingdom come and your will done in Temecula and beyond as it is in heaven. 
And we love you and we thank you. Jim, we pray. Amen. You guys can grab a seat. I'm going to close this out. So if, if, uh, if you don't know this about me, I am a, uh, an aviation enthusiast. Um, I like to think of myself as a pilot in a lot of ways. I just, I, I talk, I listen to pilots, I talk, you know, about air aviation. Uh, but interestingly, I've only actually gotten up in an airplane and flown twice in my entire life. And I did so recently, and this was in 2021, out of... Uh, French Valley Airport. Got some. Got a buddy, Steve Hopkins from Uptown. Some of you guys may know him. He's a pilot, and he uh, flew up with my friend Royce from Restored Uptown, and they took me up to fly. And uh, Steve, who's a he's a trained pilot, he's like, "You want to get in the captain seat?" It's like, "Absolutely, I do." And so he put me in the captain seat, and he's like, "All right, you're gonna fly." I'm like, "Come again? I'm gonna do what?" He's like, "You're gonna fly. I'm gonna walk you through it." And so he starts going through all the pre-flight checklists and he starts setting the plane up, configuring everything so that we could get up and fly. And I was like, you're serious, right? And he's like, yeah, completely serious. Like, all right, let's go. And uh, so the first thing I noticed was that airplanes are incredibly hard to steer. <laughs> it's really hard to get it to point in the right direction. Uh, it requires a lot of coordination. It's like, it's a lot of things happening at once. You're like talking uh, to other pilots. You're talking to each other. You're like, making sure that everything's set up and ready. It's a lot of work. And once we got up in the air, um, I realized that this was nothing like uh, reading about it or watching videos about flying or it, it was completely different in a really good way. All the information that I had, all of the, and I love that Tom mentioned plane crashes because I've, I've learned a lot about planes crashing. Uh, over the years, and I actually feel really safe in airplanes because of it, but all that to say, all that information didn't really matter as much as I thought it would. Once I was up in, once I was up in the air, do you know what I needed most? I needed somebody who could show me what to do. I needed somebody who could walk me through. I needed a mentor. And why, why do I mention all this? Number one, clearly I, I love airplanes. I love flying. And I'm going to take every opportunity that I can to talk about it. But number two, I think that as I was thinking about this message this morning, it hit me that Jesus, he wants pilots. He doesn't want just people that know a lot of things. He wants, he wants people that are trained that can actually go out and fly the plane. He wants disciples. Not converts, but Disciples. People who need to are being developed before being deployed, which I love that. Tom mentioned that. Pilots need to be developed before being deployed. So here's what I want to leave with you this morning. What, how do you know if you are being developed? How do you know if you're being developed? And it hit me as Tom was talking. Impatience with the process is like the problem, is one of the number one ways that you're going to know that you're being developed. Like you are, if you're in a space where there's something in your life that you feel impatient about, whether it's your character, maybe it's your calling, being unsure about that, maybe it's your community, other people, or maybe there's just circumstances in your life that are stirring up a lot of impatience, guess what? You're being invited to be developed. You're being invited to grow. You're being invited into the cockpit to learn how to fly with Jesus who's in there with you. He's with you in it. I remember when we were coming back 
when we were flying the plane, we flew out to the to the coast. We flew out to Carlsbad. It was really pretty. We flew down to La Jolla over Torrey, Torrey Pines, and then we cut back across. And we we flew all the way to French Valley. And the hardest part actually was the landing. Landing the plane was so incredibly difficult. And if you've never done it before, there's actually lights on the right and you know in front of the the um, the runway that tell you if you're coming in too high or if you're coming in too low. And I forget the exact color. It might have been red. Steve was like, hey, if it's red, that's like the, the red flashing lights of death. So I was like, okay. And so when I was flying in, it was, it was flashed that color. Like the red flashing lights of death was upon us. And so I was, uh, I was nervous. But, uh, but here's the cool part. Steve was there. Steve actually... He wanted me to try to land it, but it became clear that I couldn't. So he gently took over and landed the plane. And I'm here today because he took over and landed the plane. <laughs> but my point is this, like Jesus is with you and he's patient. He's a patient teacher. He's a patient instructor. And he wants to partner with you to grow your character and mine, to grow us in our calling, to grow us in community, to have patience with the people, and to be a people who are resilient in light of really hard circumstances, which if 2020 and 21 and 22 or anything, it's like hard circumstances. So I want to encourage you, this week, if you're sitting in a red light and impatience starts to bubble up, I want you to remember that this is, this is a sign that you are being developed and that you have a choice. God gives you the dignity of making a choice of how you want to respond to that situation. His timing, his development is perfect. We are not, but he wants to continue to grow you and train you so that you can be deployed as a disciple in this world, partnering with him in what he's doing. He is patient, he is kind, he is gracious, and he loves you and me. So I'm gonna pray that God would help apply these things that we're learning today to what we're, fa- we're gonna face this week, to the moments of impatience that show that we're being d- developed. Father, thank you. Thank you that you are patient with us. Thank you that Jesus was patient. Thank you that Jesus was okay with 30 years of obscurity to grow patiently and to develop. And I pray that we'd be the same kind of people who understand that our character is being developed. We're being grown up to to walk in our calling. We are developing in community to love each other as Jesus has loved us. And we're developing as people whose circumstances no longer define us, but as people who are being developed in them. Thank you that you are patient. And I pray that this week, as we deal with um, our, our, our neighbors, as we deal with our classmates, as we deal with our spouses, as we deal with our parents, as we deal with our children, as we deal with people in the world, that we would remember that we are being developed and that we can partner with you in it and that you want to train us. Thank you, Jesus, that you are an excellent pilot and that with you, we never have to crash. That you know when to take over. You know how to guide us through and you know how to get us safely where we're going. Thank you for all these things. We love you. We trust you. Help us to trust you more and more every day as we go, as we grow as disciples. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, we're done. Know that you are loved. If you want prayer, there's still people in the back who would love to pray for you.